The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Gary Hogan from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good Good morning, morning, Scott. So I guess, you know, uh, this was bound to happen. And my goodness, Don, we've talked about this for years on this show. Uh, You know, interest rates, inflation, uh, when were they going to, what was going to trigger them and and how were they going to go up? When were they going to go up? But boy, we're seeing some strong inflation numbers this past week. Absolutely. Yes. It's been the hot topic and you don't have to go too far. We've talked about this a few shows now. You don't have to go too far to see that impact on, you know, groceries, gasoline, et cetera. And, and, you know, for those that are on a a fixed income that is not indexed, which means it goes up by inflation, they're going to see it even more. And of course, investments, you have to make sure your investments are in line with inflation or can beat inflation or at least keep up. And uh, so, you know, I, we're, we're lucky here to have Gary Hogan join us today. And he is actually going to be talking about this subject. Yeah. Good morning, Scott and Don. Uh, morning, Gary. You, you know, Scott, I, uh, I recall you commented a few weeks ago on the show that uh, although the government at that time implied that the, the current inflationary situation was temporary, that uh, and then the, the further comment was, you know, it's only temporary until it's it's more permanent and uh, and how true. And, you know, we haven't we haven't had a situation that we're now focusing on for, for so long where it's got to be the seventies, isn't it Gary? Well, that was, that was really the, the, the most significant mm. uh, inflationary period, I, I would say, you know, in, in, in many decades. So, and mm-hmm. we haven't, you definitely haven't seen anything like that. And I I've often said, you know, there's a, there's a whole generation of, uh, of people, uh, new homeowners who have never seen, you know, more than a 3% mortgage rate. And uh, so, mm-hmm. so here we are now. Uh, and, and we can thank, you know, to a great degree, we can thank COVID for that. So the bank, uh, you know, the, the Bank of Canada is, uh, is now warning, and I'll, I like to use the word warning, because, you know, the Bank of Canada, even though they're not a, a political body, they, they are political, because they don't want, they don't want to release information that's going to be received or perceived as um, frightening. Yet, so they try and balance the the news that is coming out from, you know, you know from them. Uh, but they're now warning that inflation, you know, will stay higher for longer, Scott, <laughs> longer than previously wow. had forecast. And uh, and they've gone on to say that uh, an interest rate hike may happen sooner than expected. In fact, uh, uh, now they're saying by Q two of twenty twenty two. Mm. It was it was funny. You said uh, the low interest rates or sorry, the um, the low inflation rate or the inflation rate going up is just temporary. And we remember them saying that about these interest rates 10, 20 years ago. Right. This was just temporary. And Don and I had had conversations many years ago about when was it going to go up? When was it going to go up? But as you mentioned, Gary, it really seems to be the pandemic that has flipped that trigger. Yeah, that that definitely has been. And because it's something that we haven't seen before. So sometimes it takes something that's new and 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 uh, uh, unknown, very concerning to to trigger things. But, you know, we're going to talk more about some of the specifics about uh, what COVID has done as well as it relates to to inflation. Um, You know, 
the Bank of Canada also feels that there's, you know, that there, the inflationary pressures will ease up. And that's the, that's the political side of, of the, the comments too, because again, they want to balance things. But uh, they go on to say that there's a, you know, they acknowledge that there's a very, very high level of uncertainty. So, you know, they're trying to manage behavior, manage expectations, and, and you know, that's part of their responsibility. Um, you know, the, the, the continued supply disruptions, we know that, uh, that that's, you know, that that's a global situation. Uh, you know, we look at energy and you, John, you mentioned, uh, groceries and, and so on, uh, which are exorbitant now. Um, but the energy sector, you know, gasoline, natural gas, and so on, it's, uh, it's, it's gone through the roof. We've seen that hopefully interest rates will not increase until the uh, economy has had a chance to, or an opportunity to, to start to recover from, you know, the, the pre-COVID to the pre-COVID levels, because, you know, they're going to be very careful. They, they know that interest rates, if, you know, the, the tie between interest rates and inflation, we all know what that, you know, how that is connected. And so they want to be careful. They, they don't want to have to increase interest rates uh, earlier than they, they really want to, but, you know, they, they still have to manage the, the two opposing factors. Uh, so current forecasts suggest that the annual inflation rates will continue to increase for the remainder of this year. We're almost at the end of the year now. We talked just before the show about 4.75 inflation rate. Mm-hmm. So this is this is where we are. And that is staggering compared to, uh, Don, compared to numbers that we would use even a year and two years ago for oh. projections. Well, all our projections, we were using 3% and most, and that was being like, that's a 50% increase because they weren't even 2%. In fact, a lot of the talk was about deflation right. not long ago right. and how unhealthy that was. And that was a big concern. And now we got the opposite. And you're absolutely right. Uh, sometimes you, the people have to get their medicine on the economy. And that, that is often to increase interest rates because interest rates, if they increase those, then it means people can't borrow as much to buy goods. Right, because it's, it's more expensive, so it reduces demand, and that helps calm the you know the demand side of the inflation. Yeah, you know, it's always that supply demand on the economic side of things that pushes up the inflation rate and the prices. Yeah, and this is you know as we know this is economics one hundred and one, but we we kind of take our eyes off of that sometimes when there's been such a stagnant period mm-hmm. where where things have been so low and and so level. Um, so the, they're hoping, and this is where the, the managing behavior and expectations come into play, but they're hoping that, that inflation is down to 3.4% next year. That's, that's what the, uh, the information that we're Are they fr- we're crossing their now. fingers here, Gary? Yeah, I think so, because I, I think the word hope uh, speaks to that. Um, and, well, you and- know, it, it's funny because for years, the conversation has been, how low can they go? How long can they stay here? As I'm listening to you two talk, my question is, how high are they going to go? Mm. That's a good question. And right yeah. now, they're actually in the U.S., they've actually have over 6% inflation rates. So they've actually uh, got over that number, which they haven't seen for, again, 40 years. And so generally speaking, we don't, we're, and I'm going to be go over a lot of this stuff in my segment, actually, about uh, our connection between the U.S. and Canada in terms of our economics. Yeah. And part of the reason, you know, part of the reason, too, why it's so difficult to to address what you you've mentioned, Scott, is is, you know, this is a global situation more more yeah. so than it's ever been. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's far more difficult for any one country to uh, to be as accurate as as you would hope that they can be. Um, so, 
uh, and actually this, by the way, this 3.4% that they're hoping we, we <laughs> can go down to next year, that's still one full percentage point above what they originally forecasted for next year. So that's, that's important too. Um, you know, that, that limited supply of uh, in-demand goods uh, obviously has pushed up costs for, for companies globally. And, uh, you know, because we have, we, we, we consume so many globally traded goods. And that's, you know, that's to the point I was making just a few moments ago. Uh, Macklin also predicts that, that price increases should subside as short-term issues iron themselves out. Now, I don't know what he means by that other than, um, you know, again, if we can return, if the economy can return to pre-COVID levels sooner than later. Um, but if that doesn't happen, the central bank will act and they'll, they'll, they'll do what they, what they can to keep uh, inflation under control. Um, Household savings have increased, and we, you know, we've heard a lot about that. I know it's been talked about on the show. Um, you know, people weren't spending the same amounts of money, and so on. So that's that's led to increased spending. Don just mentioned that, uh, and that's resulted in increased demand, and that's added to the, you know, the inflationary pressures. All we have to do is look at the the pool industry over the last two <laughs> two summers. Wow, vehicles, yeah. you know, how vehicles have shot up, and so on. So we've seen, we've also seen many employers have the staycation, the staycation uh, yeah. funding things have definitely gone up. And for that matter, even motorhomes or trailers and yeah. staying in Ontario kind of thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, employers are having a challenge. Obviously we know this too, attracting and retaining employees. Um, sometimes when we have such a, a subsidized program, like we had CERB and CRB and so on, it changes the mindset of some people. And uh, we see a lot of restaurant employees and bars and so on uh, moving on to, you know, seeking new careers and moving away from uh, from those jobs. So that's an additional challenge. Wage growth uh, remains at or below, uh, you know, pre-pandemic levels. Don touched on that a little bit too. Um, head of the uh, the uh, Unifor Trade Union, Henry Diaz, you know, has stated that that the below or the sub two percent wage gains that have been prevalent for the past decade you know, will not allow workers to keep up. And we know that. I mean, if we're talking 4% plus inflation and increases are, are 2% or below, you know, obviously that's a challenge. Um, historically, over the last 10 years through collective bargaining, the average increase has been 1.6% a year for union workers. And, uh, and in Canada, approximately 30% of employed uh, workers are union members compared to only 10% in the States, which I thought was interesting. So given the, the uh, current inflationary uh, projections, workers are now looking at, at uh, the most significant drop in real income since what we were talking about earlier, the high inflation years of, uh, of the 70s, of the 1970s. So these are things that, that, you know, that have to be addressed as, as much as possible. Um, most unionized workers have three to five year contracts. So there's, there's not the opportunity in the short term to try and keep pace. You know, they have to wait typically until their, their contracts come due. Non-unionized workers, ironically, uh, their wages have grown at almost double unionized workers in Canada. And over the last two years, uh, increases have been a total of 9%. And that's according to Stats Canada. So Trudeau, on top of everything else, uh, you know, Trudeau is now uh, positioning further subsidized programs and injecting more money into the, the economy, again, is, is going to create uh, some additional challenges as far as inflation, because Don, to your point, people will, some people will be in a position to spend more money, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's just a, a vicious cycle and it's, it's a double-edged sword. It, it helps the people that are in need, but also injecting money like that uh, can definitely uh, and likely will fuel any additional inflation. And really at the end of the day, you know, from our clients that are looking at this and how does this affect your personal financial plan? Being armed with this kind of information is, is great. And quite often we get a lot of hearsay of this is the way it is and you get bits and pieces. And what we're trying to do today is, is just put it all together and get some real facts for those listeners out there so they know how this might impact their own financial plan. Right. And at the end of the day, um, it, it's obviously we can't predict this stuff. We don't have a crystal ball, but the trend is what it is right now. And we're coming out of a worldwide event. Um, it's pretty easy to see that we're on we're on an upward trend here. Absolutely, Scott. All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Don, we were talking about uh, inflation in the last segment with Gary and how obviously uh, things are starting to change in this post-pandemic world, if we can be so bold as to say that. And it looks like we're, we're heading on to different territory, a new frontier, uh, sort of speak. So what is the economic outlook? What, what, what do we see with the trends that we're starting to see now? Well, I'm, I'm certainly not going to take credit for this next segment, section here because Business Development Bank of Canada came up with a, a great package of information. And again, uh, thanks, Gary. Uh, Gary's been a value member of my team now for three years. And uh, thanks for coming up with that information on the interest rates, inflation. But it leads perfectly into what the economic outlook is. And starting with the U.S., you know, they're a little different, but not too far from us. And it's interesting you go back from uh, basically the end of 2019, where before COVID, and all of a sudden they went down about 11% um, to that down that worst spot in COVID in about March, March 2020. Well, they fully recovered about May of this year. So I know Gary was mentioning, okay, well, we got to get ourselves back to full economic recovery. Well, you're absolutely right. We haven't, as Canadians, gotten all the way back. We're getting close, though, and they do expect Canada to recover fully by the end of this year. Now, that is a projection, and these numbers were about midway through the year. So there's a few dotted lines trying to forecast things, but based on how things are going. So and employment, and again, we, we differ here, too. The, the employment, there was a 13% drop in the U.S. employment, and that is f- a massive amount of jobs when you've got 152 million jobs and you lose 13% because of the pandemic, that, that is a big steep drop. They're still not all the way back. They're back up to about 148 million jobs. So there's still about four and a half million jobs that they haven't fully recovered yet. 
So they're, they're getting close, but they're working on that. And what they're finding is there is an absolute pile of cash just sitting there. So just like the Canadians, and I'm going to go over that in a bit, but the Americans too, once there's bad news or recessions, human nature seems, okay, let's start hoarding. Okay. And we saw that with toilet paper when it first came out of other shoppers. And then the aisles were totally empty in certain items. Well, the next thing, what people start doing is hoarding cash. And right now there's 20 4% more cash sitting in deposits in the U.S. than there there would have been had there not been a pandemic. And the Canadian numbers are also similar, not to the exact same amount, actually, a little less than that, but still similar. And what they found, and this has totally happened on this side of the border too, the consumption of goods just rocketed during this pandemic because people weren't traveling. They weren't going to restaurants, but boy, were they buying a whole lot of deck material or of available of available goods, right? Don? Uh, whatever yeah. you could get. Yes. Bicycles. Whatever's uh, in that container. <laughs> so we'll take them. <laughs> and there was an 18% increase in, in the consumption of goods in the U.S. Now, on the opposite side, the service side, it dropped like a stone. And that would be travel, lodging. And so the hotels and the service industry really took a hit on cruises and they have not got back to the pre-pandemic levels. They're actually down about three and a half percent to where they were because of course they, there's still a lot of rules about travel. Um, We're talking right now, if you want to go across the border, yes, it's great that they, we can now drive across to the U S but taking the PCR test on the way back, Mm -hmm. it's a hassle. And, you know, not to mention the cost. Oh, not yeah, absolutely. A couple hundred dollars. So it used to be, okay, let's go to the Buffalo Bills game. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's there or the Sabres games. And it's not happening because it's just too much of a hassle. They can't go in and out at the same time and the extra cost to do so. That's adds right to the ticket. So we're not quite there yet. Um, Also, and we're finding this right now is, you know, we were on kind of just in time delivery. So inventories, it was kind of a a great idea. You didn't have a lot of inventories before. Well, because it was kind of money, it was just dead money sitting there in inventories and companies really didn't want to have a big amount of inventories. They wanted enough to keep the business going, but not sit on a lot of material. Well, if it was at 50, if that was the index then, which has kind of been the norm since about 2007, and pre-pandemic, it was about 47 as an index. It's now at about 32. The inventory levels are way down. And that's, again, to your point, Gary, it, if the inventories are down and we still have the demand, what do they do? They just push up the prices. Mm-hmm. And again, so this is not a temporary. This inflation is not temporary at all. And so there is a massive amount of backlog of orders. In fact, it's about a 20% backlog of orders. The index is, again, call it 50. Right now, we're almost 70. So a massive amount. And so, yes, the economy is doing fantastic in the U.S. In fact, the recovery, 2020 was a negative 3.4% in terms of the uh, GDP growth. So that's basically how the economy is doing. Well, that, what a snapback. They're expecting about a 5.9% for this year. And a 4% next year. And they were running for year after year from 2016 all the way to 2020, just in the mid twos. So, and, and when we always look at the stock market and we're dealing with clients, 
a lot of them were saying, well, why is the stock market going up? It doesn't make sense. It's just doom and gloom everywhere. How can, you know, it, it can't be happening. And people were trying to time the market, not our clients, because we educate them and we're saying, okay, there's no, you can't do this. And there's some people that pulled out of the market. Well, then they saw it start to rise. Well, the stock market is predicting six months to a year out where they think the economy will be. And you know what? I always like the stock market as an indicator because it's a forward indicator and people are betting with real money. It's not just a, a passive, well, we think this. No, no, you're betting with your own money on, on the stock market. And sure enough, the stock market was right. Huge growth from negative 3.4 to a positive 5.9. You know, Don, uh, just very quickly, yes, expenditures, consumer expenditures are, are dramatically going up. But I, I also think it's fair to say that the, the economically challenged people, that group is growing in numbers at the yeah. same time. Yeah, kind of the rich got rich and the poor got poor type yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there was actually, they even had some uh, interesting information on, on education levels. The more educated you were, the better you did. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the jobs that were called a less education were often the service sector. Mm -hmm. And so they actually, they, they, they got hit a lot harder during this pandemic. And those ones that could stay home and do what we're doing right now without sitting at a studio and still keeping the show going. Mm -hmm. It's the same idea where they were able to stay at home and keep the, the wheels of the economic wheels moving. So then you look at, okay, well, that's okay, Don, nice about the U.S., but I don't live there. What about Canada? Well, first of all, the U.S. does in fact us because all our clients would have a good portion of their portfolio in the U.S. And 60% of the world's stock market is in the U.S., so yes, that's that's still important. But Canada, we live here. It, it does have our, obviously the greatest impact of what happens here in Canada. Well, our GDP growth is slowing down. It is not going as well as we had hoped. Um, it's it's done okay. It, it had a 30, um, 38% decrease when the pandemic first hit. And it came back with a 41% increase. So almost snapped back the next quarter. But it's now, they're actually the Q2, of this year was actually negative. And again, they, they talk, okay, it was a third wave at that time. But again, to Gary's point in, of the supply issues, that also has caused a big, a big problem. Now, on, on the bright side, unlike the US, we are 100% back to where we were in jobs. There, everybody is hired, and we are finding that you don't have to go through a, drive, uh, a McDonald's drive-through to see big signs. Now we're hiring. We're even going to get immediate yeah. benefits. Yeah. When is when was the last time you saw we're going to give you immediate benefits mm -hmm. at McDonald's yeah. to hire part-time people? No, it's true, especially in retail and hospitality. You are saw you're seeing a lot of help wanted signs. That's for oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Everywhere and. So that, that's one. And, you know, even job fairs uh, up in Collingwood, I know it's ski area and they're trying to get ready for the ski season. They'll have a job fair and they'll have a few hundred people show up. This year they had six people show up hmm. at wow. the job fair, six. Yeah. So now they're wondering, okay, how do we keep the lifts running? What about all the restaurants in the area? So no, this is a big concern and uh, a lot has to do with immigration. And, we'll, mm. and I'll be touching on that in a second. What so, do you think, Don? Sorry, what do you think about the the impact of of the subsidized programs on mindset for for people people who would normally work in some of those those fields? Well, you, that's a that's a great point, Gary, because uh, most of those people are generally back to work now. Um, Twenty percent left the field. Yeah, mm -hmm. they didn't even go back. They they got retooled, reeducated, mm -hmm. and they left. Well, you take 20 percent 
of all the people in the restaurant business. And now yeah. you try to get them back and they're not there anymore. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of hiring that's missing. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually been the biggest issue. I actually had the same thing. Oh, what, you know, this serve and so forth. Maybe they're just not, it's not enticing enough to go back to work because they're getting paid not to work. That actually isn't as big of a factor as the fact they left the industry altogether. Yeah, I think yeah. that CERB and CRB has has really driven people to do just that, to to consider looking at other opportunities, right? And, it's, and it's for those people, good for them. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating you say that because when this was all rolling out way back when, many were concerned, well, people are just going to stay at home and live right. off the money. And, and obviously during a pandemic, they did do that. But they've also uh, gone through the headspace that this isn't necessarily something I want to go back to. And it's enticed them to, as you said, retool, increase education, do whatever, search in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not staying at home. They're improving their lives. So that's great to see. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And now I got to give kudos to Canada here. We are the most vaccinated population in the world as far as, uh, you know, big countries. And we're at 74 percent. This was as of October 25th. And the next close was Italy at 71 and U.S. is at 57 percent, mm-hmm. um, even though, of course, they have all the vaccinations. So it's very political there. And that also has an impact on economics and what we can do. So so what is driving the growth? And and really, Canada's wealth has increased by three trillion. I have no idea what a trillion is. It's a thousand billion. Three of those. OK, <laughs> it is just a lot of money. And a lot of that, so the total assets of Canadian households, market value are up by $3 trillion. A lot of that is their homes. And with this lower interest rates, it has driven the demand for homes, which again is part of the inflation factor, but also the stock market has has been up quite a bit. Canadian savings. um, In one year, Canada saved $212 billion in 2020. It put it into their bank accounts. And again, this year, it's starting to dwindle. They're saving less, but they're actually net saving. So people are building up cash because they're not spending it on services that they normally would. And they can't buy the goods they want to buy because of supply issues. So they're just sitting on this money and it's dead money. And you're sitting there earning 0% and inflation is running at over 4.5%. So you can actually buy less the following year because the prices are going up. So this is why it's also important to speak to your financial planner on what you should do with your cash in the meantime. And consumption of goods has rebounded way above our pre-pandemic levels. In fact, we're four and a half percent above on goods that we were before the pandemic. But just as the US, we are down on services and we are down 10% from the pre-pandemic levels of spending money on services, travel, lodging, can't go to you know, the, the Buffalo Sabres games, et cetera. You know, which should should bode well for the people that want to show up at the Ticat game coming up uh, this Saturday, <laughs> uh, today actually, and uh, and then going forward, hopefully right to the Grey Cup. So yes, so maybe that's where all that money will end up going, and we'll be cheering on the Ticats. And I'll see everybody there later today. By the way, perfect, perfect. I will be there too. So <laughs> get that gold and black on. Now, um, the real estate market is starting to cool, and there is some concern about the interest rates rising, and but. Three quarters of the small and medium enterprises are profitable, but there is some that are struggling because of COVID. Certain industries are, are, are having some struggles. So at the end of the day, um, the businesses have recovered extremely well. Um, the exports are right back to where they were. So we went from 
say 50 billion in goods exported all the way down to 32 billion during the heat of the pandemic. And we're back up to 53 billion again. So we've recovered there too. So overall, the economy is doing quite well. We're, on, we're practically back to where we were. Um, in certain areas, we are actually back. Now, inflation, as we just talked about, uh, is well into the 4% um, area. And you're seeing some volatility. So just like lumber was triple at one time, it's back down to only a 16% increase to the pre-pandemic levels. Mm. So it can snap back quite quickly. And businesses have already said they're going to be increasing their prices. Well, makes sense. Uh, minimum wage has also gone up. Other areas. So if minimum wage goes up, it generally means everybody else's wages has to go up because nobody wants yeah. to be say, well, I was making $15 an hour. Sound pretty good. Well, I better be making $16.50 now. Well, I don't want to be made minimum wage. Interest rate forecast, though, it went down about 1.75% in one fell swoop during the pandemic. And it is expected to be right back to where it was. The, the forecast is by 2024. Um, as Gary said, I wouldn't be shocked that it comes earlier. So we're, growth is being really limited by the shortage of labor, the supply chain just used, the price volatility, all, also this the COVID restrictions. So with all this, we are some areas are, are, are really feeling the heat and entrepreneurs are, are the greatest recipients of feeling this. We'd be having a hard time finding people, good people to work. They're having a hard time um, getting the supply to sell things. And so you're seeing business hours even change. So at the end of the day, there's so many things going on, but we are pretty much in a situation at this stage of what do we do as a financial plan to navigate through the situation you're in right now? And how does this affect you? And again, you should be speaking to your financial planner, or at least if you, if you do need a second opinion, we'd be happy to talk to you to see how do you go forward after the pandemic. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them now at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. I know, Gary, you want to talk about the difference here, and sometimes this is confusing to people, a financial plan versus an investment plan. Yes, thanks, Scott. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to draw the distinction. You know, uh, you can't work in this industry as an advisor. Uh, Actually, Don and I combined have over 65 years experience. Wow. And well, we're feeling, I'm feeling older than well, that statement alone, Gary. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing is, we can't work in this business for that long and not have a really good understanding of what goes on in the industry and how other companies work, how other advisors work on a day-to-day basis and the, and the, the, the service that they provide to their clients. It's really important that we, you know, we, we have that competitive knowledge at all, at all times. And, you know, uh, 
often on the show, I know, uh, we, you know, it's been referred to as the importance of, of uh, and value of having uh, financial plans for, for a lot of good reasons. You know, and as far as plans go, the most, most effective and, and productive plans are, are those that are customized, comprehensive, and interactive with respect to whatever the client's various financial and lifestyle uh, goals are. And then it, we have to incorporate all of the primary and secondary wishes and wants into, into the plan itself. And it's interesting uh, and alarming that less than 30% of all financial advisors in Canada, less than 30%, have a, a CFP, which is a Certified Financial Planning Designation. And it doesn't come easy. It, uh, Don, we've both committed to that years ago, and, and uh, there's a wealth of knowledge in that program. And, and it's, it's and really not only during that program, Gary, but ongoing because of the hours ongoing. to maintain that. Absolutely. Every year. You're absolutely good point. And it really is the gold standard in the financial planning industry without, without question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this professional designation requires the inclusion of, uh, of a lot of different disciplines, which I'll, uh, I'll explain very briefly in a, in a moment. So a recent survey by Polara Strategic Insights uh, seeking feedback from Canadians coast to coast just this past September showed that over 80% of people mistakenly believe a financial plan is only about investments. Hmm. Rather what was that than that number 80, what percent? 80%, 80%, over 80%, 80%. Wow. Of those, of those surveyed. And, uh, we, now, rather, we need to reach out to that 80% right now yeah. in the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start with a, with a few more conversations about it, you know, rather than obviously rather than a holistic financial plan, which includes the six basic elements or disciplines of financial planning. And the study showed while 61% of Canadians reported having a financial plan, most said that that plan focused almost exclusively on their investments. And how many times, Don, have we seen a plan that that a prospective client has that they're that they're trying to follow, and all it really does is look at rates of return and the actual investment portfolio, and, yeah, and that, that is the plan. That is the norm, actually. Yeah, and and that's you know obviously that that doesn't go anywhere because you can't predict anything. You can just make an assumption. Uh, in terms of, of returns in that type of, and then that's, that's ignoring all the other factors. So the study also showed that almost 75% of Canadians who use a financial advisor, 75% say that they have a plan, but they've reported that the plan focuses just on investments only. So therefore, there's so many people out there, there's so many people listening to us today, uh, that are that are working with a financial advisor, but only receiving investment advice. So education and awareness is one of the most value, you know, one of the many actually value propositions that we, you know, we strive to to deliver to our clients. So, you know, if a client is just, when you think about it, if a client is just receiving investment advice, then they're not really dealing with issues that we do every day, Don, obviously, estate planning issues tax planning how can how can i best uh, avoid paying tax that i really don't have to pay you know so various strategies along those lines managing their debt managing their their money on a on a regular basis managing their expenditures and and uh, and so on uh, planning for for education a specific plan for education and uh, and then obviously retirement planning 
there's a, another category that we look at with with everyone because it's it's part of the the disciplines that I referred to earlier. You know, risk management, which of course is just dealing with all the what ifs in life that can happen. And you know, you so, know I, yep. I'm sorry to interrupt, Gary. No, no, uh, for sure. Know, I, I've talked about this many times with Don. I mean, it, it's not just that portion, the financial advice. Uh, uh, you know, buying this, selling that, what have you. It's it's life in the sense that everything that uh, encompasses a family, whether it's buying a new car, whether it's insurance, whether it's estate planning, wills, whatever. Uh, I, I think I've talked to Don more about that stuff than I yeah. have the actual financial plan, because once it gets put in place, you just leave it and monitor it yeah. every yeah. year. The, the investment yeah. part kind of can continues once you got that rolling. But yeah, yeah. the life planning continues yeah. year yeah. after year. I was just speaking with a client be, uh actually the other day and uh, they're planning to put in a new kitchen. Mm -hmm. So we had a conversation about that, about different options. And, uh, and the last thing I said is before you're ready to move forward, let's reconnect and and let's make a decision about the best way to approach this. So, you know, just another example. And that's, that's what, to me, what this advice is, is all about the other stuff. It's hard to comprehend. It's the everyday (laughs) life. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox group, private wealth management, donfox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG private wealth management, 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick, uh, quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net. Or you can call IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Now, it's great that we're saving all of this money and planning and and what have you. But when you're getting it out the other end, Don, you've got to be just as careful. You've got to manage that RSP tax bomb, as you call it. Yes. And and really, that bomb to me is that 53.53% tax bracket. So that income level, anybody that earns over $220,000 is in that tax bracket. And a lot of people say, again, well, you know, I never earned that much, as most people don't. However, the year they die, they pass away, all those RSPs are taxed in the year of death. Um, Again, as a second, second, if you don't have a survivor, you know, your spouse has already passed away. So now you're the survivor. And all that money that you saved all your life, more than half of it could go to the government. And so when do you plan this? And to Gary's point as a financial plan, this does, this is nothing to do with the investment side. This is purely tax strategies. And right off the get-go, we have to look at three tax brackets or three income levels, if you will. Um, the first one would be $16,000. So you may want to look at saying, okay, I, I retired early. I want to have my spouse or myself earn $16,000, even if we don't need the money, because maybe the other spouse is still working. Well, that means you, you can earn about $16,000 with paying virtually no tax. You end up paying $306 in income tax at that level. The next tax bracket in, is a $45,000 level. And the reason is because you are now going to pay about $6,400 in tax, about 14%, but that's a 20% tax bracket. 
So the whole point here, and we're doing this a lot right now, right at the end of the year, are, are bringing people's incomes up by cashing in RSPs, even if they don't need the money. We'll move it into the non-registered portfolio. But the whole point is I want to see them pay a 20% tax bracket. You're not going to get lower than that. That's the best bracket you can get in Canada. The next bracket, and I just did this the other day. I have a client, and this is very common. They have over a million dollars of RSPs, great savers. But now they want to avoid that 53.53% bracket, but they don't want to lose their old age security. So we're bringing their income up to $80,000 this year. And that is the 29.65% tax bracket. And it also is the threshold where you don't get any of that old age security clawback. It's just short of 79,000 and change, but just for round figures, let's call it 80,000. So manage those tax brackets, first, first thing. Number two, get that pension credit. Take advantage of that $2,000 pension credit. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm just deferring my RSPs until I turn 71. And my first payment doesn't actually have, have to happen out of a RIF until the following year when you're 72. So that leaves you with seven years that if you don't have a private pension plan, you can actually pull out 2000 a year out of a RIF and get $2,000 tax-free. At least at 20%. If you're in the 20% tax bracket, it's tax-free. But even if you're in the high tax bracket, you get 20% off that bracket. So if you're in a 30% bracket, you're only paying 10% tax, still a great deal. So I have come across as many times where people have been told you should just defer your RSP until you're 72, basically. And I look at that and says, well, you could have got $2,000 each year tax-free over seven years is 14,000. In fact, if you're married, that would be $28,000 tax-free that you would have got out of your RSP. It doesn't get better than that, okay? Honestly, you, you saved at a probably a 40% plus tax bracket and you get 28,000 out of your RSP tax-free. That's really what you need to do. And it avoids paying a whole ton of tax down the road. And again, potentially 53%. Setting up the proper withholding tax. Okay, so you can choose when you have a RIF, you can choose what, what withholding tax level you'd like. And I know Gary and I, we go through this quite often. We look at all the sources of income. And if they don't have old age security, take, say tax taken off their old age security or Canada pension plan, certainly your investments don't. So if you have rental income or investment income, you're not getting enough tax taken off that. We can adjust your RIF withholding tax so that you don't have this big surprise come tax time where you owe the government a lot of money. And it's nice to get it about equal. So you don't get a big refund, but you don't owe a lot. So we try to work it out. So it just feels good around tax time. If you get a few hundred bucks back, great. But it's nothing worse than say, oh, wow, I owe $5,000. And it's a surprise. So we work through the tax returns to see what withholding tax level should we be paying at. Now, if your spouse has retired early and you're still working and your spouse isn't receiving any income yet, start collecting that spousal riff right away because even though there's what they call a three-year rule and I won't get into all the details, but if you take out the minimum out of a spousal riff, it's added to that person's income. So if there's 500,000 sitting in a spousal riff and they take out the minimum, they could take out $16,500 a year out which going back to my first point is very little tax, just a few hundred dollars of income tax. So this is, a again, it, you may not need it for the household income, but again, taking advantage so you don't have that tax bomb as we call it. So we wanna start that spousal riff right away and it's a great way to income split. And 
if this still isn't enough, and quite frankly, this is still not enough for a lot of people to, to, to avoid this tax bomb, we actually suggest deferring the CPP and the OAS sometimes to age 70 and start drawing out the RSPs. Because a lot of people say, well, I get my CPP out at 60 and maybe 65 at latest, but I don't want to wait till 70. Well, don't forget you got these RSPs. We can draw down those RSPs. And what financial planner is going to tell you to cash in your investments and move and take them out to live on? Okay. It's often, it's, but we suppress our self-interest. This is all about the clients to make sure they are going to benefit the greatest and they won't have to pay this 53.5%. So deferring the CPP and OAS and using the RSPs to fund their retirement till they're age 70 is one, one, one extra way to avoid that tax bomb. Not to mention the increased payout at age 70 for those guys. Oh, for pensions. sure. And that's, you're absolutely right, Garen. There's another 42% increase on the CPP. So great point. We have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Oski Wee. Absolutely. Go, go beat Saskatchewan <laughs> and get to that great cup. One more step to go. Actually, two more after this one. See you next week. You okay, betcha. Thanks, Scott. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.